Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. It is hour two on this Tuesday. I was about to say January the 22nd. It's not. It's June the 22nd. Um, and I want to uh, I want to settle in for just a moment and talk about this uh, story out of Randolph, New Jersey. So the the Board of Education for this particular county um, was responding to concerns that holidays listed on the calendar um, were, you know, divisive, I think is one way to describe that. And so initially what happened is that the school board received requests to change the name of the Columbus Day holiday to Indigenous Peoples Day. And they did that in May. They changed the name of that particular holiday on the school calendar. Well, then they got complaints from a different part of their constituency, in this case, the Italian-American community. Um, And so in response to that, they said, well, it's now we've reached a point of impossibility. We can't switch it back to Columbus Day because that's going to offend the people who wanted it initially changed to Indigenous Peoples Day. And so we're just going to remove holiday labels altogether. And we're going to more generically describe days off from school. Now, frankly, for a secular pluralistic culture, there's probably nothing wrong with that. However, we don't live in a purely secular pluralistic culture. We live in a culture where people still have very strong convictions. Those strong convictions just don't always line up with one another. And so this is how um, community decision making works in a democracy. The community comes together. They speak. They should speak. um, They should speak kindly. They should be gracious. Um, they should not demand people's resignations as a uh, as the way this should work itself out. Like, that's not helpful. And so I really um, appreciate how both the school superintendent and the school board president responded to this. Tammy McKay is the president of the school board, and she came right out and said, look, the buck stops here. It, see, it stops right here with those of you, with those of us seated in front of you. You elected us. We own the decision. Neither the superintendent nor any other administrator, principal, teacher, district employee of any kind had anything to do with the votes that we took or the decisions that we made. To cast blame on any of them for what this board did is simply wrong. So I, I want to, that's hats off. Hats off right now to school board president Tammy McKay for taking personal responsibility. Um, And for the board taking a step back and saying, you know what, let's form a committee. Let's get a lot of community input on this uh, on this conversation about the words we use to describe the days off that are authorized for the school district. So we are talking about public schools and we're talking about public schools. We're talking about, you know, schools that are government run and govern government administered. So let me just ask you. Um. Uh, you know, are you comfortable having 
holidays added to the calendar that have no reference to Christianity. For those of you who are thinking right now that Christian holidays should be listed as Christian holidays on the school calendar. Like you have to pause there and you have to say to yourself, we don't, although we live in a country still dominated by Christian influence and by people who are at least nominally Christian. I mean, if they have to check off a box, they check off the box Christian. Um, But we don't live in a Christian country in terms of we don't live in a theocracy. We don't live in a country that is um, uh, that is by description, although it is by heritage, Christian, certainly um, Judeo-Christian in its heritage. It is not Christian. It's not a Christian country in the same way that Iran is an Islamic state. And so when we have a public school governed by a public school board um, elected by the people of that community, when people in that community want other holidays listed on the calendar, how comfortable are you with that? Is, Is it maybe it's okay for them to all be listed as days off. So this is, I think, a conversation that's probably taking place in communities across the country and one for which we as Christians, you know, need to be more well-equipped. So there you go, introducing it today out of Randolph, New Jersey. All right, uh, next up this morning, we've got uh, our, I don't know, every other week check-in with our friends from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Today, it's Dr. Brett Nix. So we got a COVID update up next. We'll be right back. Dr. Brett Nix is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. How are you there today? Ha- ha- happy Tuesday. I am well. I am well. Okay, let's um let's quickly do some COVID updates. Um, the U.S. spread, uh, well, is uh, still ongoing. We have a new COVID Delta variant that people might be interested in learning about, and then we've got uh, post-COVID syndrome, long COVID. Lots more uh, cases out there, people affected with lots of symptoms. So maybe just cover the range of COVID headlines for us. Yeah. So, you know, it's fascinating. Can you believe it has been a year, almost a year and a half since the first case in the U.S.? So January 2020 was when we had the first confirmed case in the U.S. And some data suggests that actually it was probably in the U.S. uh, in December, early December of 2019. Uh, We just didn't know yet. And as the uh, Evidence is suggesting our surveillance and process looking at some blood tests and samples that were available from that period of uh, late December, early January has confirmed that process. And so since that time, goodness gracious, we've moved forward in such a a large degree from the initial uh, COVID that we had here in the U.S. now to a increasing concern about the Delta virus. It's, of course, the one that has been raging through India and as we know, every time a virus goes through process, it changes and variants continue to, to become um, uh, prevalent across the globe. The Delta variant, as you know, is the dominant one that is stated before in India, but it's perceived to be more transmissible than the Alpha variant, the more common one that we have seen in the U.S. Uh, that's been ongoing. And now the Delta variant is spreading across the U.S. Um, with a doubling rate that's pretty concerning to the CDC. So it is now an ongoing process of, of tracking. You know, of course, we have to balance that with the fact that we have uh, a very large number of people within the U.S. that are now immunized. And so it's a balancing act. And the U.S. has fully vaccinated about 45 percent of the population. 
Um, and about 52 to 55 percent has re- has received at least one dose, according to the CDC. Now, there's regional variations with that. And why does that matter? Because whenever there's an area of a new variant that comes in, there can be doubling rates that increase. So we'll see these pockets of outbreaks. And, you know, when you think about that, the common areas where we see these outbreaks are in these areas of get togethers and small communities and whatnot. And so it's an ongoing concern that we can continue to have some concerns as we continue to see laxing uh, as far as the restrictions appropriately as we continue to have increasing vaccination rates uh, and moving those things forward. We just have to keep a close eye in these areas to see what's moving forward. And boy, the last thing that you bring up is this concept around uh, the long COVID concept that many people are talking about. And you'll hear about it. And really what it comes down to is the underlying health conditions that we see not so much with COVID, but afterwards. Uh, Nearly 2 million people Uh, that have had the coronavirus in the U.S. over the last year, researchers have now found that about one or two months after the infection, about 25% of them are seeking uh, medical uh, care related to symptoms that were may or may not even been related. And the common things are are simple, uh, respiratory issues, ongoing difficulties with breathing, even though they're no longer or never had issues with oxygen requirements. Uh, Some have issues underlying just neuropathic pain, discomfort in unusual areas, Uh, Some have underlying issues as far as progressive and increasing migraines for those who may have never had headaches before. Some have some ongoing issues as far as nausea and other intestinal symptoms. And there's a lot of issues, as you can imagine, with sleep disorders, mostly around issues with anxiety. Uh, And so this issue is post-COVID health problems that really we haven't characterized quite yet. It's something that we're going to be continuing to focus on on a going forward basis within the health community. And it's, it affects people of every age and stage of life, and um, it's just a really interesting, uh, I think, conversation going forward as well. All right, so as we move into summer, more fully into summer or fully into summer, um, you know, I think that getting kids outside, doing things that are fun, reintroducing exercise maybe after COVID sort of, I don't know, we kind of all felt like hostages for a while. How important is it to get kids exercising? What do we now know about cognitive development in children um, and its relationship to exercise? You know, that's a great question. There is an interesting study that just came out of Japan. Uh, It was really released only a few days ago. And what they ended up finding is something that I suspect we all know to be true, but hasn't perhaps been studied to the degree that it should, that people who are physically active during childhood show that they have a higher cognitive function later on in life. And what they looked at, they looked at participants who exercised when they were children. And these are under the age of 12 that they focused on, who are physically active on a daily basis during childhood. And what they found is is that, yes, of course, they're going to be healthier at a younger age. And of course, that they're going to seem to do well from a physical activity process. But not only was their cognitive function improved at the younger ages, but they followed these folks throughout their life. And it ended up finding that the, uh, the issue as far as their cognitive function was enhanced not only throughout their life, but at the later stages of life. And what they're postulating is simply that during these early stages, it's not just the cognitive development of reading and being exposed to different types of things, but the crossover of the brain's network uh, in relation to experiences and factors that go along with exercise seem to not only enhance uh, brain development, but enhance the the optimization of underlying networks that were not just present when they were a child, but present throughout their life into their adults and their senior, their senior years. So bottom line, as you stated, it's summertime. The kids need to get out. They need to be active. In the U.S., we have such a huge epidemic of childhood obesity, and this is a great opportunity for us to engage it, not only from a health perspective in that regard, but also for the cognitive development we know to be true. 
All right, Dr. Brett Nixon and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about, hey, what's good for the kids is good for us, too. Exercise and mental, physical health for all of us. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. All right, returning to my conversation with Dr. Brett Nix. If you missed our COVID conversations, for those of you texting in, surprised that we're moving on to other health concerns and other health headlines. Um, we talked uh, just a few moments ago. You can go back and listen to it on the podcast. We gave some COVID updates about U.S. spread, the Delta variant, um, Americans who remain unvaccinated, and the uh, long COVID or post-COVID syndrome. So, yeah, we uh, we recognize COVID is still in the headlines. And, yeah, we're still talking about it, but we're also talking about other things. So, um, Brett, let's talk a little bit about exercise and mental health. Uh, I mean, obviously, we all know that there's benefits of exercise for our physical health. I'm not sure we've all thought about it as it's also really important for our mental health as well. You know, it's, it is so true, and the benefits of exercise, the benefits of healthy living are, are paramount in every aspect of our life. Specific to mental health, when you look at physical activity, we know that it can help reduce things like anxiety. We know that it is an issue, especially if you are engaging in a moderate or vigorous level of exercise, the level of anxiety that you have drops significantly. Longer-term, regular exercise that you have on a, on a recurrent basis also reduces the underlying risk of depression. Uh, and, you know, part and parcel with that, those who have issues with anxiety and depression have issues with chronic pain many times. And what we also find is that when you look specifically at exercise and physical activity, it actually decreases the baseline concerns and baseline issues that people have related to their chronic pain, decreasing the need for medications or other interventions. And again, importantly for those that have issues with mental health, sleep is a paramount issue, right? We hear about people who have issues as far as insomnia, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up well-rested. We know that exercise helps people sleep. It increases the efficiency of their sleep. It increases the quality and the depth of their sleep where your body's truly restored. It reduces your daytime drowsiness so your focus is better and you're able to be more attentive in your engagement. And again, more importantly is you're able to mitigate the need for any type of sleep medications, letting your body go about the process naturally. So prior to um, COVID-19, prior to the arrival of the pandemic, one of the things that had our attention nationally was um, opioid abuse and opioid overdoses. We have lost sight of a number of things during COVID-19. And this is, the, this is one of the things, I think suicide deaths and deaths related to, um, to opioids have been things, you know, frankly, Brett, that we've, we've taken, the, uh, taken our eye off of. Um, but we've had a record number of overdose deaths in the U.S. Um, related to opioids. So wanna revisit that topic briefly here? Yeah, you know, this is an issue. I mean, before the COVID-19 pandemic became uh, present, we had an ongoing issue as far as our drug epidemic with underlying issues in opioids. You know, keep in mind in 2020, so for the year 2020, while we were focused on uh, issues related to COVID, through November of 2020, it's recorded that over 90,000 deaths were associated with overdoses because of opioids and, and, uh, and, and drug medication issues. Um, and so, yes, we have this massive number of casualties associated with COVID, but at the same time, this is in the background. And, you know, as the virus transfixed our nation, as we were focused on this issue, our drug crisis was not only bad to begin with, but it got increasingly worse because now we have people who are at risk, who are marginalized, who are now locked in at home, increasing stress, increasing issues with depression, and driving that issue before. 
Uh, and so what you end up finding now is when you look across the, the country, um, during the time of the pandemic, it continued to get worse. High, high rates of suicide from overdoses, high rates from accidental overdoses for those that are in this process. And if you look at this unending epidemic of opioid overdoses, we basically have looked at more than doubling the number of overdose deaths in the, fa- in the past five years. It is, a, it is an ongoing problem. Uh, and yes, there's an ongoing focus related to it. However, that being said, uh, I think over the last year, the derailing because of COVID has really put this in the back burner. And we've talked about it before related to those who are seeking assistance with their opioid uh, addictions and trying to get in facilities, could not get into the facilities because many of them were not seeing patients during the COVID window or very limited in number, number one. Number two, they couldn't get their medication refills that helped to keep them stabilized uh, during their times of, of trouble. And so it is, it is something that we need to continue to focus on. It has not gone away. And in fact, it has gotten substantially worse during the last year. I think that, you know, as Christians who um, our heart, I mean, our heart breaks. This is this is just one of those things that touches everybody and it touches people up and down the socioeconomic ladder. It touches people of every race. It, t- it touches people of every age and stage of life. Um, and so let me just let me just pause for a moment and just recognize if you're listening right now, um, in all likelihood, you know, someone who in the past year has has lost a loved one to an opioid overdose. And so let let me just say, like, we recognize that and we know that. Um, Let's be reaching out today. Let's not be forgetting that others are still um, very much trapped in negative behavior cycles, even as uh, others of us are able to walk out into the world as it reopens after COVID. Um, let's be gentle with one another. Let's be merciful and let's help people get uh, get the resources that they need um, to deal with the challenges that they are facing, particularly those life-controlling challenges um, like opioid addiction. Um, all right, Brett, we've probably got time to cover one more topic. Um, well, let's do this. Um, do you want to make any comments on the Supreme Court decision related to Obamacare? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. The uh... For those who don't know, last week uh, the Supreme Court took a look at Obamacare, uh, again, as far as the uh, uh, solidity of the underlying program and whether or not it should be repealed and reevaluated again. And when you look at what they ended up putting in place as it relates, it was voted down uh, to go ahead and continue to move things forward. And when you look at the process there, what people are really having to recognize is simply there is a substantial need in our country for people that do not have insurance. Uh, But recognize it's not about the insurance. It's about access to care. And many times when people look closely at Obamacare, it was a process uh, or the Affordable Care Act as we know it. Many people recognize it as the ability for someone to have an insurance card. But the challenge with that is depending on the community that they work in and live in, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have access to a primary care doctor that allows them to go ahead and get the things that they need. Yes, they can probably have a primary care visit uh, for annual exams. Yes, they can get immunizations. But do they routinely have somebody available that can help them navigate the challenges of hypertension and diabetes and the challenges that they're faced with within life? And this was pre-COVID. You can imagine the complexities around COVID as well. And so you know, the greatest piece as we look at this is – I think when you look at Congress and you look at the decisions that are being made within the Supreme Court, it is how do we value lives within this country? How do we provide resources for people in a manner by which we can afford it, number one, and which brings value to each individual? And I think that will be the ongoing conversation going forward. 
All right, if you're a Christian healthcare professional, uh, you need encouragement, education, equipping, networking, all kinds of good resources. We want you to check out cmda.org. I'm not a healthcare professional, but I got to tell you the stuff that CMDA has posted um, just in terms of the ethics of medical care and the decisions that doctors and others are making today, really super helpful resources. So cmda.org. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, Carmen, my pleasure as always, and have a great week. You too. That's Dr. Brett Nix. We'll be right back. All right, I do love it when listeners uh, look ahead and know who we're going to be talking with on the show. So a little shout out to Florence Birdie, who emailed me and said, oh, I'm so excited you're going to be talking with Charles Martin. So I'm going to ask a listener question to our next guest, the uh, New York Times bestselling author of, uh, of, well, of a number of books. He's going to join us next to talk about The Letter Keeper, which is his latest book in the Murphy Shepherd series. You guys know that um, I, I love him as an author and he's a fun conversation partner as well. So next up, Charles Martin. Scripture says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is Max Lickinger. It was the eve of the crucifixion in Jesus' final meal with his followers. He stood up, he hung his cloak on a hook, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. He washed feet. Jesus used some of his precious final moments in this silent sacrament of humility. The disciples pledged to stay with their master, but later that night, when the soldiers marched in, the disciples ran out. And when they looked at their feet in shame, they realized Jesus forgave his betrayers before they betrayed him. Hasn't he done the same for us? We each have a basin. We've each been wounded. But before we knew we needed grace, we were offered it. This is Max Lucado, and this is how happiness happens. So one of my uh, favorite authors, New York Times bestselling author Charles Martin, returns today to talk with us um, about his latest book uh, in this particular series. I'm going to call it the Murphy Shepherd series. This book is The Letter Keeper. Charles, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you again. Okay, so we're going to start off with a family member um, fan shout out. So Florence Birdie and I go to church together and she listens to the show and she's your second cousin. So she is uh, saying hi this morning. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, She wanted me in in case that we hadn't talked before, because she obviously hasn't heard our prior uh, conversations. She describes you as very laid back, articulate and honest. So there you go. We're going to test that this morning. Okay. Well, (laughs) let me get some more coffee. Good call. I think that's totally right. Um, Okay. So Mm. let's talk about the setting of the letter keeper. A little bit different setting than we experienced in the water keeper. Um, Tell us where we're going in this novel. Well, this one's a little bit different. The water keeper starts off really on the east coast of Florida, runs the the gamut down the intercoastal, really from northeast Florida down to the dry Tortugas um, southwest of the Keys. 
And I felt like for the letter keeper, I needed something not water-based, so to speak. And um, so we, I, I sort of, I moved it to both Colorado and Montana. And I just, I needed sort of a mountain, I don't know, mm-hmm. a mountain-based setting for the beginning of it. So, I mean, it moves around. There's some New York City. There's some other, you know, he goes back to his island for a little while. But for the most part, it's Colorado and a little bit of Montana. So for people who um, who don't know Murphy Shepard and don't know what's happening um, in the series, maybe just introduce them to that character in particular because, I mean, I just love him. Like, I love him. <laughs> All right, real quick, let me just back up. And when I was on book tour a couple of years ago, I was in Northeast Georgia and got to my, my publisher put me in a, in a hotel, but the doors face the parking lot. And where, where I come from, that's called a motel. Wasn't in the best part of town, but we didn't know that. So anyway, I, I go to my room, I go to the Coke machine to get a water. And as I'm walking back, a man stops me on the balcony a very well-dressed man. He could have been a hedge fund owner and he was driving a, a really nice Jaguar. And he basically stopped me without introduction and said to me, he said, yeah, I've just paid for some time with these girls down in this room. And sometimes they like to have somebody join us. And sometimes they like to have somebody watch us. Are you interested? And my first response did not come from the sanctified side of Charles or the, the, the part of Charles that's in the process of sanctification. I thought if I hit him, He's going over the balcony. He's going to land on his Jaguar, and I'm not going to be able to explain that. So all I did was look at the guy and say no. Mm. I walked back to my room, and it really it really just got to me, and it bugged me. I got on the phone. I called Christy, and I just was unpacking kind of you know, the whole thing. I sat on the bed, and I could look out the window, and I, 45 minutes later, I saw the girls leave. I don't know if they were 16 or 18 or mm. what, but they were somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. And that opened my eyes. And I felt like in that moment, the Lord put a deposit in my heart, both of anger and love for those who were the, you know, the slaves of this day. So long story short, that started my introduction to this thing that happens right before our eyes all the time, everywhere. Uh, there are more people enslaved today than in the history of the world. And 90 something percent of them are being raped for profit. So that was my introduction. Now, along with that, and you asked me about Murphy Shepard, so I'm getting to that answer. Along with that, I'm reading about the same time in Matthew 18, where Jesus tells the parable of the shepherd. And for so, I've read this a bunch, you've read this a bunch, but for some reason on that day, it struck me as how illogical and ludicrous it would be for the shepherd to leave the safety of the flock, the comfort of the flock, the protection of the flock, to chase down one dumb sheep that got himself lost for the umpteenth time. And then when the shepherd finds him, throws him on his shoulder, comes back and has a party. And as I was sort of wrestling this out with the Lord, I felt like he, not audibly, but just what he impressed upon my spirit was that the needs of the one outweigh those of the 99. And that regardless of how we may mess up or whatever we think we've done that disqualifies us, we're not disqualified from rescue and we value, we are valued, valued to the shepherd, and we have great meaning. And so, as I, as as all this is coming together, the, the dude at the motel, this thing with Matthew, with Matthew eighteen, I began thinking about this character. Maybe I could I write a guy who was, you know, somebody that we could follow who had this DNA level desire to go rescue the lost. 
And that's how I ended up with Murphy Shepard. He sees people and he counts people precious. That's just, I mean, I just, I love him as a character. Um, and he's, he's, um, he's deep and complex. Like there's nothing flat about him. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I just, I love him. I love what you're doing with him. Um, and yeah, so this is Charles Martin. The book is the um, the letter keeper. I am one of those people who doesn't want to give too much away. So I'm thinking that when we come back from a very brief break, um, you're going to tell us what it's been like to have um, your earlier novel, uh, the the Mountain Between Us, turned into a major um, theatrical release. And then I'm going to ask you what the process is like to have um, Long Way Gone. Um, currently under development as a screenplay. Like, I think listeners would be fascinated to know that the books are becoming, or some of your books are becoming movies and sort of what that process is like. Would you talk with us about that? All right. That's up. That's up next with Charles Martin. We'll be right back. My conversation with New York Times bestselling author Charles Martin. We are talking today about The Letter Keeper, and I do have copies to give away. So if you need some summertime reading, um, if you haven't read The Water Keeper, I feel like you got to go back and read that first. But you could read The Letter Keeper without reading The Water Keeper. Um, but I don't know why you'd want to do that. So read them both. A great summer reading. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 and enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. All right. Um, so, Charles, what has the what was the process like for The Mountain Between Us being turned into um, a movie? And then what's the process like in terms of Long Way Gone? Well, on The Mountain Between Us, it took nine years. Um, it was mm-hmm. initially when the book, the book came out, and I think in 08, um, the folks from 20th Century Fox optioned it. And then it was, you know, just a long period of silence of year after year after year where they would, you know, they might re-option it or something, but we just didn't hear anything for a long time. And then all of a sudden, bam, in about 2015, we got word that they had assembled screenwriter and screenplay and actors and director. And then they were going to shooting, I think in early 16, the movie came out in 17. And, you know, we would just get little snippets. And oftentimes I would hear more over the Internet and from my friends than I would the folks, you know, in Hollywood. And I mean, it was it was from on the one hand, it was awesome. It was, you know, a lot of fun for us to kind of just vicariously watch the process and to kind of hope and think what it what might be. And honestly, we prayed for a long time that the Lord would put my movies on the big screen. And we'd sit there with a bucket of popcorn and watch all of you watch the movie. So that was that was a lot of fun. Now, did they, you know, did they put my book on the screen? No, not really. They, you know, they, mm-hmm. they kind of did their own thing. And that's, look, that's, I think when you get into this world and you start, especially as a first time somebody being translated from the page to the screen, I think you, you know, there's just, they're going to do what they want to do with it. That's just Hollywood. And so we were grateful they made a movie. It wasn't the movie I would have made. You know, there were some things they did that I wouldn't have done. Um, they're they're incredibly talented. They're really good at what they do. They've made a lot of movies that I've watched, but it just I didn't have any. I didn't. I had zero input in the process, and so 
while it was fun to sit there and watch the credits roll and see based on the novel by Charles Martin, I, you know, I would have made a different movie. So that's, mm -hmm. that's probably the best answer to that. With regards to Long Way Gone, I've been more involved in the process. And this is an independent house out of Hollywood called Reserve Entertainment run by a guy named Darren Mormon. And I'm a huge fan of his. They just put out a, a movie called Blue Miracle on Netflix, which you can watch. And um, I, uh, it's, really, it's, it's really good. I, I love their... I love his heart for how he makes movies. And so I've had more input in this process. He calls me and updates me. I've seen the screenplay. The screenplay is really close to my to my story. They have kept my story. And if they keep the screenplay, then my story will end up on the, you know, on the screen. And but there's there there for somebody like me, it's probably important to realize that a book is eight to twelve hours, fourteen hours of your time when you read and you dive in. A, a movie might be two hours. They're just different canvases, and it's probably unfair of me to place an expectation on the director and say, you got to squeeze all of this into that in order to do my book justice. That's not fair to him It's just it's, or her. It's just not. So there's, a, there's a, a measure of grace that I think us as writers have to offer the folks you know, making movies. Now, it, it can be done really well, and it can be done really poorly, and um, I'm hoping – I'm hoping that they're able to to take Long Way Gone and make a really great movie. The cool thing is they have, you know, there's the whole music side of that novel. And I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out. Because not only do you have a screenplay, but you've got somebody somewhere who's going to write some songs for this thing. Which right. ought to be a lot of fun, you know, to listen to. I would think that would be fun. And that does bring a whole other aspect to that, um, that particular project. Um, so that'll be fun as that as that proceeds. Um, so uh, a listener has texted in and said, does, uh, does Charles Martin know that Murphy's Shepherds is actually uh, a dog breeding farm in Farmington, Minnesota? I just thought you should know that. <laughs> There's a, I did not know that. <laughs> Murphy's Shepherds. And they're really cute. I've now Googled them and they're adorable. Um, <laughs> well, I'll have to do the same. I know. I'm just saying like, right. You know, if you need a location for a book event, that might be a fun one. Um, cool. So, so you talked with us um, the last time you were on about your writing process. People were fascinated by that. They loved hearing about it. Um, they felt kind of invited in. And so first of all, I wanted to thank you for that because you were so transparent. And then maybe just share with folks like because you're always working on the next thing, even though we're now talking about a book that's in print already. People have it in their hands and they're reading it and we're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of The Letter Keeper that we have here in studio. Um, but talk with folks just a little bit about maybe where you are in the writing process of the next thing. Well, it's interesting. You, what you are holding in your hand, I finished probably a year, a little over a year ago. And so mm -hmm. what that means for me currently in my process is I'm, <laughs> I should be finished with the third installment of the Keeper series, but you know, art is not something I can just make happen. So uh, I might have a deadline and I might work really hard to meet. I mean, it's not like I have a daily golf game. I don't get out of here and go play. I mean, I really do sit in my chair and work. But sometimes the stories just don't bubble up the way I need them and the speed with which I need them to bubble up. And I, it, it's, you know, I've said this, and maybe I said this on your program last time. I sweat my books more than I write them. I show up every day to a blank page, and I'm probably a better rewriter than I am a writer. 
so it's it, it's work. I mean, I you know, as soon as you and I hang up, I'm going back into my office and I'll sit down and I'll get back to work to, for you know to, towards the middle of the afternoon, working on the third installment of the Keeper. And that's it. It's um, I don't. It's I wish I could. I wish I could tell my publisher, gee, I'll have this book to you next week or I can get it to you. But I, it, in my process of my career, it is occasionally, I, well, I've met all deadlines, but two, I missed this one. But um, I, the, the whole process of the, the creative thing is just, I have to just lean on, if you want to know the truth, I really have to just lean on the Lord. I mean, I do. I mm-hmm. show up. I got this question a week ago from a buddy of mine who's a writer. He said, what do you do when you sit down? And the words just don't come. And I just, all I wrote, I wrote him back was a prayer. And it was, dear Lord, I'm here. I'm available. I really do think that you gave me a gift. Whatever's clouding my mind, would you please clear it? And whatever words I need today, would you please give them to me? The first words and the first verb in scripture is created. So the Lord is pretty good at it. So Lord, would you please help me today as I sit down and I try to write these words, which I think, which I hope and pray at the end of the day do somehow honor you and reveal you and they stand like a road sign to Jerusalem and point people to you. That's why we love you. I mean, it, the books are great, but the spirit behind them is a spirit that resonates with the spirit um, within us. We love the gospel themes throughout your books. Um, thank you for the letter keeper. Thank you for the keeper series. Thank you for the work you're going to do today. Um, that creative work that you return to right now. Um, Charles, thank you very much um, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you again for having me back. Blessings to you. Likewise. That's Charles Martin. He's New York Times bestselling author. The most recent novel is The Letter Keeper. It's in the Keeper series. We've got copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we've got available in studio. We'll be right back. I do love our listeners. So listener Jessica texted me and said, if you need a little humor for this morning, I was on my way to take my dog to be groomed. And they asked me for verification that he had had a COVID vaccine. Paul, did you even know that was a thing? Uh, I heard a little bit about that, but I didn't think that was something required of dog. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. Find a new groomer. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say to listener Jessica. You're just going to have to find a new groomer. I... That is crazy. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe not. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that on air. Sorry. I, I take back that last judgment. Um, I find that a little surprising, and I'll do a little more research on that. Um, Paul, can you remind us what we're doing tomorrow? People like to know. They like to know what's happening in advance. We're doing a show tomorrow. We are doing a show tomorrow. <laughs> well, we have you know Jim Dennison on with? tomorrow. Oh, so fun. Okay, so Jim Dennison I love from the Dennison Forum. We love catching up with him. Who and- else we got? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, we Am have... I talking with an author tomorrow? Uh, well, now you ask me, and I have to go look at the calendar, okay? I know. Me There's, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like crazy time, you know, trying to, and I'm jumping between. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Jarrett uh, Stevens, the author of The Always God. It's a good book. All right. So we've got some great conversations planned for tomorrow. Sorry, I caught my producer off guard. Yeah, she Asked did. him to multitask over something I don't ordinarily do. Um. So we love gathering with you every single morning. Thank you for getting up early with us. 
Uh, if there are suggestions that you have, questions you want to ask, you can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Remember, you can text during the show, 877-933-2484. When you text in the hours, you know, uh, when we're not on air, um, it's a little harder for us to get those text messages. So text us during the show. And when we're not on air, if you could email us, that would be super. Plan to join us Sunday evening in our first Conversations with Carmen live stream event. You can get all of the information for that by texting the word event to 877-933-2484 or simply visiting us at MyFaithRadio.com. When you go there, you're going to see tons of other resources as well, um, including information about our like summer devotional series that we're emailing out to folks. And it's a video series and it's really fun. You get one of those every week. So great stuff today. Great new stuff today at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.